0: Uh, let's pray and we'll dig into Matthew chapter one. Father, thank you for your people here this morning and thank you for how comforting it is during this season to focus in on Jesus Christ and why he came into this world, into this dark world. We thank you for the lights, for the food, for the warmth of fellowship. And for every gift that we get to experience in this season, especially the greatest gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that this morning we would see and Savior that wonderful gift that we have. That you would open the eyes of our hearts, our understanding. That we would be captivated by the beauty and the glory of this gift that you've given us through Jesus and sending him into the world. I pray that you would help me and work through my weakness as we open the text. May I honor you with how I handle your word, and may I edify your people with your word. ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right, Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, it's up on the screen. If you do have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Um, Matthew 1, verse 18. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Here's where we're going this morning. Namely, that that the birth of Christ was a miraculous event in human history that points to the deity and the humanity of Christ. The birth of Christ was a miraculous event in history that points to the deity and the humanity of Christ. These are some of the basic truths that we circle back to around Christmas time. That God became a man and he dwelt among us. That, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That the eternal God stepped into time and history and space and experienced pain and struggle and suffering just like you and me. To rescue you and me. The first thing I want to point out here is that, that Jesus became a human. This text tells us about the birth of Jesus. Jesus was a real person with a real body, with real flesh and blood. He had real nerves and he could feel pain on his body just like you and I can. He experienced the pain of betrayal. He experienced the pain of being spoken of evil falsely. Jesus experienced the struggle that you and I experience in this life and Matthew wants us to see that. Matthew wants us to get an account that Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, stepped down into human history and he became a man. He his his mother was Mary and and her conception of Jesus was miraculous because normally when a woman gets pregnant, she's been together relationally with a man. But that hadn't happened. So this is a miraculous thing. Christianity is a miraculous faith that, that, that we believe in miracles. We believe in a God who is supernatural. And God steps in and He does these great things. We see this isn't the first time in the scriptures that we have God bringing forth a baby supernaturally. I mean, you go way back to Genesis and you got an old man and an old woman named Abraham and Sarah, and they just physically didn't have what it takes to to have a baby. It just wasn't there. And yet God said, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby boy. And there's going to be lots of descendants that come through that baby boy, Isaac. And God did a miracle. And once again, God shows up in a a crucial point in history and God does a miracle through a baby that is conceived, a baby that, that comes from the Holy Spirit without any human action going on there to make it happen. God supernaturally shows up. Jesus becomes a man. Matthew, he starts off his 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 book, the gospel, and I don't know if you've ever pondered this, but he starts this off his his gospel, the gospel of Matthew, with a genealogy. Uh, for most of us, when we're doing our Bible reading plan and we come to portions of Scripture like this, we just skip over it, right? genealogy there's all these names a list of name genealogies are list of names and there's all these names and, and most of them we don't even know how to pronounce correctly right and so we skip on to like give me something else like what what is what do these names mean to me Yet in Jewish history, these names were very important. In the Old Testament, we have several genealogies, and these were very, very important for various reasons. One of them, as, uh, as Michael Wilkins says that Jews kept extensive genealogies to establish a person's heritage, inheritance, legitimacy, and rights. Matthew demonstrates Jesus' legal claim to the throne of David, emphasizing Jesus' legal descent from David to Abraham, while Luke's gene- genealogical record emphasizes Jesus' biological descent from David to Abraham through through Mary, that is. And so genealogies are important. So maybe your family tree isn't that important to you until you have an inheritance that's entitled to you, right? And then you're like going back, you're looking back in history. My my mom, uh I have some apparently from what my mom tells me, I have some Cherokee Indian uh, in my blood. And so at one point my mom was trying to do some research because there are privileges, there are funds, uh, designated that go to Indians who were mistreated at one point and the government, you know, provides some funds for them, right? And so my mom's like, man, we got to find out how much, how much Indian you got in your blood. If you got, if you got one eighth, man, you'll be in there. I think I have like one sixteenth of, of Cherokee Indian in me. At least that's what my mom says but but then when when you think about your inheritance a valuable inheritance all of a sudden your genealogy and your your family uh lineage becomes important to you. Uh this was important for more than than just the uh the Jews having an inheritance. I mean they they this was their way of keeping track of who gets what, right? Y'all remember back in uh, 2009 when President Obama was set in, inaugurated as, as a the president. There was some, there was a conspiracy theory about, you know, his, his birth certificate. Was this guy legitimate? Was he, is he a real American? Was he born in America? And those of course who didn't want him to be president wanted, you know, to find out that maybe he was born somewhere else so that he wouldn't have the legitimate right as the president of the United States to function in that role. Uh, me and him, by the way, me here, me and him are both born in the same place. I was actually born in Hawaii as well. Uh, back in 1981, Honolulu, Hawaii. Yeah. Y'all didn't even know two days before Christmas, (laughs) two days before Christmas. so genealogies were important. Matthew wants us to see that Jesus was a real man who lived at a real time in human history. And, and more importantly, he wants us to see that he was a Jew that descended from Abraham through the line of King David. You see, in, in, in Matthew one one. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, there was this promised Messiah that the prophets talked about who would come into this world. And he would rescue his people from their sins. He would be this reigning king, this everlasting king, this savior, this Messiah, this Christ. Uh, Messiah just means Christ. Christ means Messiah. It's, it means anointed one. Um. And Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the son of David, and he fulfills prophecy. Matthew unpacks this this genealogy for us to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of what God had promised through the prophets. God keeps his word. He said he would send a deliverer. He said he would send a rescuer. And Jesus was that. He stepped into time. He became a man. Tim Keller says this in his little book, Uh, Hidden Christmas. He says, Matthew does not begin the story of Jesus' birth by saying, once upon a time. That this is the way fairy tales and legends and myths and Star Wars begin. Once upon a time signals that this is pro- that this probably didn't happen or we don't know if it happened. But it is a beautiful story that teaches us so much. But that is not the kind of account that Matthew is giving us. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This means that he is grounding what Jesus is and does in history. Jesus is not a metaphor. He is real. This all happened. This all happened. The Christian faith isn't like Greek mythology, isn't a bunch of fairy tales. It's not a made-up story that some clever person decide to uh, tell and, 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 and fool a bunch of people. This is God's story, God's redemptive story. And Jesus Christ was a real man who lived in real-time at, at, at a certain time in, the, in the, the the first century, and he lived a life as a man, and he experienced suffering and pain and struggle just like you and I. So Matthew wants us to see that. In the New City Catechism, there's a question, why must the Redeemer be truly human? This is a catechism that we've uh, used to, to teach our kids basic truths about who Jesus is and the gospel. And the answer to that in the New City Catechism is that in, in, a, in human nature, he might, on our behalf, perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin, and also that he might sympathize with our weaknesses. Aren't you glad that you and I have a Savior, a, a high priest, who can sympathize with our weaknesses? One pastor theologian says this, he says, in his humanity, he offers to God everything that we owe God. And in his humanity, in his perfect obedience to God's commands, he offers to God the obedience that we refuse to give him and could not give him because of our fallen and sinful nature. Jesus, the son of God, the eternal son of God, became a man he stepped down into time and in history. The author of Hebrews writes these words, Hebrews chapter 2:14. He said, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power, the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus had legitimate temptations to do sin. Jesus was legitimately tempted by the devil to sin. You and I have all experienced that and we've all failed to resist that and and walk in victory over temptation perfectly. But Jesus stepped into this this world and took on flesh and became one of us. And yet he never gave in to the temptations of this life. He resisted. Therefore, he lived out a life of perfect righteousness on our behalf. Jesus is the ultimate example of righteousness and godly living. He walked it out. He let us see what it's like for a human being. To really be fully human, as God designed us to be, walking in communion with the Father, He let us see that. And yet, He's not just an example; He's not just an amazing ultimate example. He is our uh, atonement. He is the He. This Scripture says that He became the propitiation for our sins. He came. To bear our sins on himself, on his body. And he suffered. He took lashes on his back. He was punched and his beard was pulled out. And he was beaten and he bled. And he was, he was put to shame, hung on a cross, half naked. And he was seen as a criminal. And he did this for you and me. He, he, he can sympathize with our struggle against sin he can help us in our struggle against sin because he became one of us i'm sure we've all experienced experience of having somebody who hasn't been through a hard thing that we're going through and and them try to tell us give us advice like um say say if if you're somebody who's experienced the pain of a divorce and then you got somebody who's never experienced that and it might be tough for for you to receive from somebody who's never never experienced that before or say you have cancer and you're going through cancer and and somebody tries to give you advice you should do this or you should do that insensitively and and, and 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 maybe you struggle to receive from them because they haven't been in your shoes or maybe you've lost a loved one you've had a, a a sibling die or father die or mother die and somebody's trying to comfort you and it's it, maybe you struggle to receive From them because they haven't been there in your shoes. Well, Jesus has been there. He stepped into the pain and the suffering. He bore our sicknesses. He experienced injustice and ill treatment against him that he did not deserve. Therefore, he's able to help us. If you need help this morning, if you're struggling this morning, he's able to help you. He is able to relate to you uh, better than anybody else. And he's be able to aid and, and be a help to you better than any, anyone else. Hebrews four fifteen and 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus passed the test. He was tested in the wilderness. Three times he was tempted by the devil. 40 days and 40 nights. And he did. He, he lived out perfect obedience to the Father. He did what the Israelites had failed to do. In the wilderness, they were tested. And they they complained. And they, they turned their back on God. And they were unfaithful to God. And you and I have done the same thing. We failed to, to follow God and be faithful to God through the test and the temptations of this life. Yet Jesus takes it, takes the test, and he passed with the perfect score. Do you know what he offers you and I? That A plus accounted to us by simply coming to him in faith. We get his righteousness accounted to our behalf. So he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He was tempted yet without sin. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us. In our time of need, Jesus became a human so that he can be our helper, our redeemer, our rescuer. He made himself vulnerable and experienced the frailty of human life. I mean, just think about this. Let this, let this sink in for a second. The eternal God became a baby. Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, Stepped into time and space and he became a baby. We have several babies here. We have, my wife and I have a five month old baby in our family and we watch how the siblings, the seven year old, the five year old, and the four year old carry that little baby brother around and he is helpless. Like, he can't control where he's going, when he's going, when he's going to get some food, when he's going to get a diaper change. I mean, he can let us know by crying, ah, right, if he doesn't like something. But he is at the mercy of his siblings, and he's at the mercy of mom and dad, and he's in this place of vulnerability. Their babies are fragile, and they got that soft spot on their head. I tell the kids, quit hitting his head. That's all spots up there, like don't, don't be, you know, be gentle with them. Be, and Jesus Christ became a man, a baby, a, a little baby. He experienced the, the fragility of being a human being. And so he can sympathize with us, he can relate. And not only is Jesus, did he become human, he's God. And I've already said this several times. And Matthew wants us to get this. Notice verse 23 of chapter 1. He says, he's quoting Isaiah 7, 14. And he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is astounding. This baffles many people. Many people struggle at this point, that that believing that Jesus is God? Many people are, are okay with Jesus being a real person in real time and re, at a real time in history, and would say, "Yeah, he was a good teacher. He was a good religious leader." There's there's plenty of Muslims who would say that, right? There's there's plenty of people who would you know not argue the reality that Jesus was a real man who lived in time and space, but when it comes to the deity of Jesus Christ and his identity being the one who is everlasting. People stumble at this because this takes a revelation from the spirit of God for you and I to get this. We need God to show us this. Isaiah prophesied about it again in Isaiah 9-6. And I preached on this last week. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, prince of peace isaiah prophesied about this this child who would come and be a deliverer he would be called emmanuel god with us the new testament writers want us to understand that jesus is god john 1 1 in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god you read a little further down to John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John wants us to get the reality that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. Uh, Peter wants us to get that. Uh, Paul wants us to get that. He says in, uh, in Jesus, dwelt the fullness of the Godhead. And so we see this here in, in Matthew that, that Jesus is called Emmanuel God with us. And again, back to the New City Catechism. Why must the Redeemer be truly God? That because of his divine nature, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective. And also that he would be able to bear the righteous anger of God against sin and yet overcome death. Verse 21 says that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, you and I don't just need a good example. And Jesus was that ultimate example. Ultimately, you and I need a savior. Somebody who can step in and do something about our situation and rescue us from our sins. We don't just need an an, an inspiring leader to show us how to live. We need somebody who will rescue us from our sins. And Jesus is that. He's the Savior. And this implies that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And many people stumble at that. And only God can save us. Only God can rescue us. And Jesus is God. God, he came as God in the flesh. He wrapped himself in human flesh to rescue us. Verse 21 says he will save his people from their sins. So there's at least three ways I think that Jesus saves his people from their sins. One is the penalty of our sins. The penalty of our sins, according to Romans 6, 23, is the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve because we're all guilty. You've broken the law. You deserve punishment. And we all are in death row because of our sin. And Jesus steps in and he says, I want to pay that for you. And he lays down his life for you and I. He doesn't deserve it. He doesn't have to die like that. He doesn't deserve to die like that. He takes what you and I deserve. One man dies for the sins of the world. I know this is a profound Yet simple truth that we celebrate at Christmas time. That Jesus stepped in and He took that for us. He came to save us from the power of sin. So not just the penalty of our sin and taking on Himself the sins of the world. He came to break the power of sin in our lives. So you and I don't have to be controlled by the dominion of sin anymore. You see, many people in Jesus' day, they were looking for a Messiah who would come and rescue them from their political enemies. Rome, who was in power at the time. They were tired of being treated. The Jews were tired of being mistreated and held in oppression by the Roman government. And before that, there were the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And before that, there were the Egyptians and the people of God. The Israelites experienced oppression throughout history. And they were tired of it. They wanted this, this king that the prophets talked about. This one who would step in and take care of their enemies. And when Jesus came, the Messiah Jesus came, he came in a way that many Jews didn't expect. They were thinking that Rome would be dethroned when the Messiah came the first time. And Jesus came to deliver his people from their sins. He came to set the first time He came to set captives free, those who were slaves and captives to their own sin. Slaves within, because of the darkness and the sin within them. Jesus said in Luke 4, he quotes Isaiah 61, he says, The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. John 836, Jesus said that he who the son sets free is free indeed. He who the son sets free is free indeed. And Jesus was saying these words in the context of a people who were oppressed and under the yoke of Roman rule. And yet Jesus is saying, there's a freedom that I'll give you right now, if you'll believe me. If you'll hear my words and accept my words and know and embrace my words, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free regardless of who's in the in political power. You and I can experience freedom. Even in a jail cell, the Apostle Paul could experience the freedom that Jesus Christ gives. He was more free than many people and there are many people in jail now christians who've been set free and they're more free than those who are in the free on the outside of jail and so matthew gives us a glimpse of the identity of jesus who he is he, he became a man he's god in the flesh his name would be called jesus Which implies that he's a savior, the Lord saves, the Lord will rescue and save, and he will save his people from their sins. That's what he came to do by dying for me and you. He came to save us from our sins. I know this is so basic, so simple, but I think we need to go back to this, and we need to to reflect on this and ask ourselves, why does this even matter? Do I really believe this? Does the world really need to hear this message? They do. Just as much in the first century as we we do today. So lastly, Jesus is God with us. So he's not just a human a God who became man. He's not just deity. Some distant God way out there who lived in the first century or who's way out there in space somewhere else. Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. This is what changes. This is a distinction between Christianity and other religions. Because the God of the Bible and the the message of the Bible and Christianity is one of uh, uh, reconciliation and relationship with God. Jesus summed up the the Old Testament, the law and the prophets saying, love love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what matters most. God cares about relationship here, and he cares about relationship here. And Jesus came to to be with us. And so that we might be with him. If you're experiencing loneliness this Christmas, know that Jesus is your Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Just ponder that, reflect on that, trust that, and 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 for any relationship to to be healthy and good, there has to be communication. So, how do we experience this Emmanuel, this the, God's presence with us? Well, one, even when we don't have strength to to carry on, and when we're broken, um let's see what Psalm thirty four seventeen says that the Lord is near the 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 brokenhearted, the crushing spirit. The Lord's near. Like he shows up when we're going through a hard time. But, but to, to, to grow in and to have any healthy relationship, you need communication. And our communication with God, we call that prayer. Right? We, we talk to God. We draw near to God in prayer and we talk to him. Okay? Christians have a real relationship with God. We talk to him. We express our dreams, our hopes, our fears, our struggles. We pray for his will to be done, but then we also listen to God. We listen to what he has to say to us through his word. He speaks to us and we experience his promises and we believe his promises. And then we experience the reality of his presence. Uh, James 4, 7 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So if you're distant from God and you haven't felt the presence of God or experienced the presence of God lately, you may need to repent and draw near to God. Turn away from your sins. Confess your sins. That's what James 4 says. Humble yourself. Turn from your sins. Draw near to God. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Jesus came as our Emmanuel. We got the end of the story in the book of Revelation. God's big redemptive story. In Revelation chapter 21, uh, at the end of the Bible, John says this. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. You see, we look forward to this. We look forward to this at the end of redemptive history when there's a consummation of our salvation and Jesus Christ comes back and he rescues us and he wipes every tear from our eye and he deals with injustice and he brings judgment on those who persist in evil and he wipes our tears and he removes sorrow and suffering and he removes death and pain and we experience a world of perfect peace Joy and love, we long for this, we long for the the day when we will experience communion with God that 's unhindered where we are delivered from the very presence of sin, so Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the very presence of sin, and He brings his presence to us to, to be with us to dwell amongst us so in closing here here's a couple couple of things that i want to encourage you with one is to be confident that god will do what he says he will do matthew says that this was fulfillment that jesus is coming and and the, the virgin birth and 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 jesus becoming the savior uh is fulfillment of what god promised he would do And all, all throughout Matthew, Matthew, he, he quotes back to the Old Testament. This happened so that this would be fulfilled, what the prophet said. God is faithful, and he doesn't, he doesn't lie, and he fulfills his word. When he says he's gonna do something, he'll do it. And so continue to trust Jesus to rescue you from your sins. Those of you who are Christians, you've you've taken initial step at, 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 when you got saved, when you got right with God, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But that trust and faith isn't just a one-time thing. It's a lifelong thing for us. It's an ongoing thing. We continue to live by faith. Romans 1.17 says, The righteous, the just, shall live by faith. And so we keep putting our faith in Jesus. We need Jesus to rescue us. From the power of sin. Because no matter how long you've been a Christian, you're gonna have a struggle with sin. You're gonna be tempted. You're gonna, you're gonna fail at times. And you're gonna need to confess that sin. And you're gonna need to go back to the Savior and say, Lord, forgive me. Change me. Free me. Make me more like you. Cause I'm not walking like you right now. I need cleansing. I need healing. I'm broken. We are, we are far more wicked than we ever we ever realized, than we ever dared to believe. Yet we're more loved and accepted than we ever hoped or imagined. Right? So we're what we're much more broken than we realize. We're we're, we're great at justifying ourselves, and we're. I talk to so many people who are like, "Yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I'm good. I'm going to heaven. I'm all right." Most of us, uh, as Proverbs says, each man will proclaim his own goodness but who can find a faithful man, right? Everyone will tell, you know, they'll give you their resume and they'll give the best stuff first, right? But but we are so much more messed up than we realized. And the Bible lets us know that. Yet, we're so much more loved than we realize. Though we're more broken and flawed and sinful than we ever realized, we're way more loved and accepted through Jesus Christ. Then we realize, and Paul prayed that we would understand God's love in in a deeper way like that in in Ephesians chapter 3. The other thing is be willing to lay your reputation down for the sake of Christ. Now, I want you to think about this. Think about Joseph here. For Joseph and Mary to receive Jesus into their lives, they had to lay down their reputation and they had to bear a reproach. If they were gonna take this son in. If he was gonna be the stepdaddy to this son, I mean, just think about what his friends would be saying. Bro, you're crazy, man. You think she got pregnant from the Holy Spirit? You crazy, bro. That just doesn't happen. Like that just that's that just does not happen. Or, bro, you're gullible, man. His friends were probably like, You're gullible. You believe that? Either you're crazy or you're gullible. And they experience social outcast and shame and reproach because they received Jesus Christ into their life as a baby. It was a miracle. In our faith, there is supernatural elements to our faith, many of them that we as Christians, we say we believe the Bible and it has supernatural things that are hard to understand but we accept by faith. Okay? And if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to receive Jesus, you're going to, you're going to have to lay down your reputation and you're going to have to bear being called names like being called crazy, gullible, a fool, pitiful, all kinds of names for being a follower of Jesus. Mary and Joseph had to experience that. Then that's just chapter one of Matthew. You go to chapter two. They also had to experience danger. They had to flee for their lives. Because the enemy was trying to kill all the babies, right? Herod had all the babies killed, Matthew chapter 2. And so they had the split. Of course, God sovereignly used that to fulfill prophecy. God had a plan that he was working out. But that's, a, that's another point of application, that if you're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be trials and tribulation and persecution, and you may be in danger for your very life. Your life may be at risk. If you refuse to deny Jesus Christ, you may be blasphemed. You may be, uh, your name may be reviled and you may, may be spoken of evil, evilly. You may be a social outcast and you may have to just lay down you, how you feel about what people think about you. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father and his angels. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father and his angels. And lastly, I want to exhort you to enjoy sweet communion with God, knowing that he is with you. This Christmas season, enjoy the grace of life and all the gifts and all the pleasures and all the privileges and all the comforts and all the good things that you have in this life. But enjoy them back. Let those things cause your heart to go back to the one who gave you all those things. The gifts and the good things that you have in life. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights. God has given you the good gifts that you have. And and you and I should honor him for that. You and I should receive and enjoy the gifts that he's given us. But we should acknowledge him and thank him and worship him for being the giver of all good gifts. Not just the gifts that are under a Christmas tree. Not just the gifts of health and family and food and comfortable chairs and heaters and and all the things, the comforts that we have in this life, a home, but the ultimate gift of Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Enjoy the gift of the son of God this Christmas season. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, these truths about your son, Jesus, are profound. And we need the help of your Holy Spirit to grasp them, to believe them, and to talk about them. Share those with others. Explain those to others. We thank you that our faith is not a blind faith, that there are, there's credible There's a credible account, accounts given to us, and good reason for us to believe that your word is true and that you will do what you say you will do. And so let faith and hope arise amongst us this morning. I pray that you would make this for us the most meaningful Advent Christmas season that we've ever experienced that we would be close to you and that you would be close to us and that whether we have lots of good things of comfort in this life or not, that we would be satisfied with having you the best, the best gift, the greatest gift. May we be generous to share from those good things that you've blessed us with in this life to those who don't have. You're here today and you haven't received Jesus Christ as your your savior your Lord and you want him to save you from your sins love to pray for you and talk to you about that.